thank you, Wes. Do appreciate it. Yep, Just man. glad, glad you're here. <laughs> and <laughs> glad you guys are here too. Uh, this is, as Wes said, this is a first. So I think it's it's always exciting to acknowledge as the Lord gives new opportunities just to say thanks and so thanks for praying um, and thanks for being guys and for those who are watching online either now or later thank you for being here as well it is something that I really have looked forward to and uh, as I said in an email that went out to the men last week that I really have missed seeing faces and so the fact that we can gather in this unique environment at this unique time. Is, uh, is a special thing. It's a special thing for me. And uh, I'm praying that it'll be a special opportunity for us to grow as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. Um, this, this is an uh, emotional day for, for a number of reasons. It's an emotional day for our nation, as it is obviously September the 11th. And for, for all of us under this tent, and I'm assuming all who would be watching online, uh, we all know where we were and what we were doing 19 years ago, this, uh, this very day. And in some cases, we can almost pinpoint where we were at specific times on that day. Um, for me, as Wes mentioned, I, my birthday is September 10th, and I had just turned 25. And my wife had surprised me for a, uh, a weekend in, or a, a quick overnight in the Outer Banks. And we went down on Sunday, and it was great. Monday was my birthday. She rode in the golf cart with me the entire way as I hacked my way through the Nags Head golf links down there, and uh, we had a great time together. I opened gifts on the um, with the Wright Brothers Memorial, just a special, special thing. And uh, then we drove back to Northern Virginia, to Arlington, where we lived when we were first married. And I got up and rode the uh, <clears throat> Metro bus to the Pentagon, and got on the yellow line to go to my job with the Department of Justice, like most people went to their jobs on that day. Um, and uh, not knowing when I got to the office that there would be a television on in the conference room recording incredible uh, footage of some disastrous events of the terrorist attacks that day. And to find out that about 45 minutes after I had been at the Pentagon, the terrorists had flown an airplane into the side of the Pentagon. Um, for my, my parents, it was a, it was a hair-raising day because I was there working for the government in Washington, D.C. My sister was about three blocks away from the World Trade Center in New York City that day, and, and she was fine. But, um, but it was a day we will all remember. Uh, I had two friends that I knew that died in those Twin Towers, a guy named Doug Ketchum, who I had known from my college days, and a gentleman named Brad Fetchett, who I knew and graduated high school with. And all of us... Uh, know someone at least who was impacted in that day, and maybe some here were. Uh, so it is a day, an emotional day, as we think back. And we think back about maybe even lessons that the Lord is teaching us and wants to continue to teach us about trusting Him in difficult times, uh, much like we are experiencing right now, an interesting and strange time with the pandemic. But in all of this, I believe that the Lord desires for us to follow faithfully after Jesus Christ each and every day. Um, it's also an emotional day for our community, specifically the, the chapel uh, church community, as this afternoon will be a memorial service for Bill Ward, who was the former lead pastor here at the chapel. Uh, and while I did not uh, serve on the same staff as Bill Warwick, I came on staff a few years after he had left. I, I did through my dad, who was good friends with Bill. I did have the opportunity to meet Bill, have meals with Bill, and, and learn from him. And so... Uh, 
Our prayers are for comfort for the Warwick family, and his service will be this afternoon, 3 o'clock, here at the chapel. Uh, so it is an emotional day, and yet we come here to the start of this men's breakfast, hopefully with uh, hearts that are eager, eager to learn, eager to grow. And as we think about what we're doing and where we're going to be going this fall, uh, we have uh, laid out a series of lessons, and the lessons are going to be entitled, Follow Me, Lessons on the Lives of the Disciples. And so as we, as we talked, as we sort of got some feedback from you all at the end of the spring, and I know that the spring ended in a strange way as we had to send out video lessons throughout the end of March and April, May, uh, to finish our men's breakfast time, but we got feedback from you all that learning from the disciples was something that would interest you. And so, over the summer, as we began thinking and putting this together, we believe that lessons from the lives of the disciples will be very helpful for us. And each week, we will be looking at specific lessons that Jesus Christ taught and shared with his disciples. And each lesson is going to have a title, and the title is taken directly from words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Week one, this week is what are you seeking? Come and see. And as we get into our text in just a moment, we will, uh, we will see that question and that invitation, which are significant even to us today. Uh, because what we're going to be looking at are lessons from the first century that apply just as much to those of us who seek to follow Jesus faithfully in the 21st century. And that is the remarkable power of the inspired Word of God and the the teachings of our Savior that last throughout generations. So, uh, in an effort to orient us, I wanted to start reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. And um, th these words will be here on the screen, but we always encourage you to follow along, to open up your own Bibles. Um, I know in this day and age, we, we have become so accustomed to just looking at a screen. And, and hopefully, guys, the, the Christian life that, that you and I at least hope to live and desire to live is not just that of a spectator. It's not just one like, hey, we're watching sports or we're watching a television show, but we are actually hands-on getting our, our, our hearts and minds immersed into the Word of God. And so I always encourage you, even though we will have verses on the screens for those that need it, I always encourage you to open up your own copy of the Scriptures, make notes in your own copy of the Scriptures, and engage more deeply in your own copy of the Scriptures outside <coughs> of our men's breakfast time. So uh, I'm just going to read these verses from Matthew chapter 10 as a way of getting us an idea of who these disciples were. Matthew 10, starting in verse 1. And he called to him twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is an interesting list. If you were to ask me, who would you choose to start a worldwide movement that would transform all of human history. I don't know that I would have chosen a religious zealot. 
or a hated public tax collector, or maybe half a dozen blue-collar working fishermen. And yet still, Jesus chose these men. Jesus knew their failures. They were not religiously, politically elite men. But still, Jesus chose them. Because he's the Son of God, he knew all things. He knew that they would fail him. He knew that they would flee at his greatest moment of betrayal. And yes, he did know that one would betray him. But still, Jesus chose these men, all of their weakness and all of their failings, to be what would be the foundation. Of course, Jesus is the true foundation, but upon that foundation, these men would be the founding fathers of this great movement that we still encounter today and are part of today called the church. Amen? And that's why I want us to keep this, uh, what I'm proposing, a thesis in mind throughout our time this semester. And that is that Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. Now let's, if you can read that on the screen, let's say that out loud together, because I really want us to, to internalize that. Jesus, Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. And that extraordinary mission, guys, is the mission of building his kingdom and making more disciples. And I'm excited that we get to learn from what he taught his men almost 2,000 years ago to see how that still applies to us today. I came across a quotation from uh, an author, uh, John MacArthur, in a book that Wes lent me entitled, Twelve Ordinary Men. And uh, the quotation reads as follows. I've always been fascinated with the lives of the twelve apostles or disciples. Who isn't? The personality types of these men are familiar to us. They are just like us, and they are like other people we know. They are real and living characters we can identify with, their faults and foibles, as well as their triumphs and endearing features, are chronicled in some of the most fascinating accounts of the Bible. Yet these men, uh, yet these are men that we want to know. That's because they are perfectly ordinary men in every way. Yet with all their faults and character flaws, as remarkably ordinary as they were, these men carried on a ministry after Jesus' ascension that left an indelible impact on the world. Their ministry continues to influence us even today. This fall, guys, as we look at this series, Follow Me, Lessons from the Lives of the Disciples, I hope we will see how we are really no different than these 12 ordinary men that Jesus chose. I believe we can relate to them because in many ways they are just like us. And that's because Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. So where did it all start? Where did it all start? Guys, not to disappoint, I do have a map. Uh, I probably could have chosen a better one, Wes, but nevertheless, I just wanted to, I have a value, it's important to have a map. And um, if we want to know where it's going to start, our context will be for the passage of John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. Uh, this is where, um, somewhere in this region is where John the Baptist was baptizing. Some of you have, have been over to Israel and seen that place. Yes, a few people, I know my dad has even been baptized over there in that, in that area. Um, 
And so John is baptizing in some, in some area near the Jordan River. And uh, he's already seen Jesus. And he's already baptized Jesus. And so we pick up the action here in John chapter 1, verse 35 and following, where we read very interesting words and see some very interesting responses to what happens and how John the Baptist is related to this. And just uh, by way, this shows just uh, what an example that John the Baptist was of being what's called the forerunner, the one who would run before the Messiah and prepare people for the Messiah. And so uh, John the Baptist uh, has an important role of, of really saying, as he would in a few chapters, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. And we're going to see that played out here in the first chapter of John as well. So let's pick up in verse 35. Uh, the next day, and that's, that's kind of significant because we see in verse 29, the next day, verse 35, the next day, and then verse 43, the next day. John is showing us a sequence of, of days here. Uh, the next day, again, John, that is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. So we find that discipleship is not something unique to Jesus in the ancient world. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But John actually had his own disciples that followed him. And he was standing with two of them. And then in verse 36, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Okay. Thanks, John. We've been following you, but this is the Lamb of God. We're going to follow him. Again, John's words, I must, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. <clears throat> And Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And here right now, just that, that parenthetical statement shows us that John the author uh, was writing this gospel with Gentiles in mind. Because Gentiles would not fully understand some of the terms. Rabbi. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. I, I like to point that out. This is one of Jesus' first prophecies that was fulfilled. <laughs> Jesus said, Come, and you will see. The next sentence says, So they came and saw. So Jesus is a prophet, Wes. His, his word is perfect. His word was fulfilled. They came and they saw. <laughs> and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, which is about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It's getting close to evening. So they stayed the night. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. We'll unpack that and why that is a significant statement in just a moment. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him, that is Peter, to Jesus. Now Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas being an Aramaic nickname. Peter being the Greek version of that nickname. It means rocky. Not like Balboa, but rocky, meaning what Peter's character would be like, as well as his foundational role in the church. So, um, so this is our founding passage, Jesus calling these first disciples. Uh, just to kind of get us oriented to, uh, to what this is about, 
um, we kind of ask the question is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? And we're going to have a working definition that we develop today that helps us to understand what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. The word literally means a, a learner or a student or a pupil. This was one who would follow in the, the steps of a rabbi or a teacher, and they would learn from this rabbi. They would learn not only what the rabbi taught, but how the rabbi lived, the ethics that that rabbi would integrate in what he would teach and how his life would reflect that teaching. Needless to say, uh, this is exactly what Jesus did. As he taught and he lived consistently with integrity. And what we'll see is Jesus begins to call some initial disciples and we read throughout the rest of the Gospels that at some point, the group of people that Jesus had following him, either by their own choice or by his personal invitation, were up to 70. And then over time, Jesus began to identify 12 of those 70 that he specifically wanted to take through his intense training regiment to prepare for what was next. The Gospels show the flaws of these men. That's why they're so relatable to us. <laughs> He took these ordinary men and brought them through this incredible process to build his kingdom. But that's because Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. And what that means, guys, is that Jesus has chosen you and me, ordinary men that we are, to be a part of this extraordinary and exciting reality of his kingdom and advancing the gospel in our world. And I, I've seen this at play. I, I, I admit, I have suffered from times of thinking about who is most impressive, uh, who has accomplished the most. Those are the kinds of leaders that I would want. And I even remember going back to my days, uh, I had a role in my previous church, much like that of Dale South, of leading a small group ministry. And of course, I would look, well, who, who seems to be the most gifted? And what amazed me, guys, is God began to show me that that was just a, something that I idolized, and I needed to trust Him and pray and simply ask people who seemed to have a heart that wanted to serve. Even if they seemed impressive or not, I started to ask. And you know what I found? Is that some of the best small group leaders were the least expected, people that I least expected would be excellent at it. And I was amazed at how God provided in that and convicted me the people that he chooses to use are not like the, the ways that the world looks at people. And so we, uh, we have a quotation here from a professor of mine in seminary named Bill Lawrence from a book, a booklet that he wrote, Broken Leadership, Three Years to Change the World, which reads, No one is qualified for the Jesus movement. He alone can call and qualify followers to lead his movement forward today. Throughout all of history, no one started out as a qualified leader for Jesus. And we are all unworthy servants of best. Yet, he continues to call the unqualified and the unworthy to do the supernatural. Amazing. Amen? That means, guys, you and me. He has called us, and he is equipping us to do the work that he calls us to do. So let's dig a little deeper as we make this, uh, build this definition for what a disciple is. And the first point is this. A disciple is someone who is called to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that is step one. Um, in our day and age, you can't be a, a disciple until you have trusted Christ 
and embrace him for who he is. That is, as the Son of God who has died on the cross for your sins and mine, and has been raised from the dead, so that we might have salvation by believing in his name. A disciple is someone who is called to faith in Jesus Christ. Now we see this even in our text. We see as John uh, writes, uh, John the Baptist has an observation about Jesus. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. We have to believe that Jesus is the Passover Lamb who was sacrificed for us. We have to believe that he is that Lamb who was slain, and that's why he's worthy to open the seals of the scroll that we learn about in the book of Revelation. He is the Lamb of God who John said has taken away the sins of the world. And his observation is important for us. That's step one of being a disciple. We have Jesus' question, which is also significant. What are you seeking? To have salvation in Jesus Christ, you have to answer the question, I am seeking you, Jesus. I have sought you, and I believe that you are indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. A scholar named Rudolf Bultmann says of this question that Jesus asks, It is the first question which must be addressed to anyone uh, who comes to Jesus. The first thing about which he must be clear. What are you seeking? And maybe whether you're online or here today, maybe one of the reasons why life has seemed so challenging at times is because maybe you are seeking someone or something else other than the one who says, what are you seeking? When he asks this question, Andrew says, Rabbi, where are you staying? That word staying is abiding. It's a word that John uses 66 times in his book. And it doesn't just mean, where are you spending the night? There is that connotation. But it also implies a desire of gaining a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And indeed, that is what we are called to as his disciples. It's fascinating to see Jesus' invitation. Come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. I hope that we realize, just as the disciples did, that the only way we are going to find out what we're seeking is when we come to Jesus in, in Jesus Christ in faith, and we see that he is the one, and the one alone, who can offer hope and salvation that we seek. Words from the beginning of John chapter 1 remind us of this truth. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? That is why the first step of being a disciple is to be someone who's called to faith in Jesus Christ <clears throat> to salvation. It's the greatest invitation, guys, and it's offered to us through the Son of God. That then leads to a deeper purpose. Once we've been called to the salvation, we are called then to sanctification. That is the, the second step is the disciple is someone who's called to follow after Jesus Christ and obey him. Obey him. In the ancient world, the disciples of a rabbi or a teacher would model their lives off of his life and his teaching. And we know throughout the Gospels, Jesus Christ shared incredible teaching and desire for his men and for us to follow after this teaching. Uh, we also know throughout the rest of the, of the New Testament, as the apostles write, Paul, Peter, the author of Hebrews, and John writing in his letters later, we, we have incredible truths of how we are to follow Jesus as he sharpens us and he, he gives us uh, a new identity 
Much like he gave Peter a new name, he gives us a new identity in him and a new purpose. The purpose is that we might uh, know him and make him known to the world and fulfill his mission. <laughs> Our lives are to reflect that of the Savior. And that's where, uh, that's where I kind of like Wes was saying, kind of as he welcomed us today. In this time of uh, a pandemic, it seems to have been a very exposing time in all of our lives. When we reach stressful points, we find sort of what we're made of. I know I have seen parts of my life that I have not mature in walking with Christ throughout this season. But Jesus wants to sharpen us and mold us through the Holy Spirit to be more like him. So we might obey him and obey his word. We find this in what we do, what we are actually doing with our lives, places we go, where our feet take us, where we go online, what we think, are our minds in obedience to Jesus Christ. And it's not just what we might think on an, on areas of, of purity or sexual ethics. What, we, what might we think about fellow brothers in Christ that we're frustrated with? Are we honoring Jesus Christ? And answering that sanctifying call. Are we allowing ourselves to live lives in alignment with God's holy character and God's holy scripture? We find a call that we are called to be about as disciples of Jesus Christ in this sanctification to obey Jesus. Written by Peter himself, the one who was given the new name. He's given a name of Cephas, or Rocky, by Jesus Christ. In the book of 1 Peter... <laughs> Chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Guys, the battle against sin is a spiritual battle, and it is real. You and I know that. But through Jesus Christ, as we seek him as his disciples and seek to follow him in obedience, we can have victory through Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, what is uh, a final working part of our working definition here of what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who is called to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and tell others about him. We have salvation, we have sanctification, and then we have mission. This is why we are here. And if we look at the life of Andrew, we see that Andrew was already without even knowing it. Because it was, he was just so moved by who he had just encountered in Jesus Christ that he actually started fulfilling the mission of Jesus even before he was commanded to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Because what did he do? The text tells us that he first went and found, that's a key word, found his brother. And what did he say to his brother Peter? We have found the Messiah. Now this word found is an interesting one. Uh, you've heard of the word Eureka. And when we think of Eureka, what, what that really means, literally, is, I found it. 
And supposedly legend goes back that Archimedes, who was a third century BC mathematician, thought he found, it's a very tradition. He either found the formula for pure gold, or he found out that there was a crown made of false gold, or he found out a mathematical and physical formula for balancing water in his bathtub. And the rumor is that he jumped up and said, Eureka! And he ran naked down the street to tell people about it. I, I don't know. It's probably significantly ancient urban legend. Um, but I can say for a fact that Eureka is the state motto of California. And so uh, I mean, we might argue with that. We might argue that California is still looking for it. Um, but Eureka is their state motto. But it comes from this Greek word, which is used here in this text a number of times. Andrew found his brother. That's what he did first. And he said, we have found the Messiah. Now, the Messiah, which we find here, is, uh, means Christ. Messiah is, is a Hebrew word, Mashiach. you got to get a little in there, Mashiach. And then you have Christos, which is the Greek for Christ. It means the anointed one. This is the king of David, who was promised and expected in the Old Testament to come and be the redeemer and offer salvation to the nation of Israel and to rule from the throne and to rule... Uh, and have a rule that will last for eternity. <laughs> and the Israelites and the, and the people in the nation of Israel at this time had a great expectation that this king of David would come and free them from the Roman rule. So when Andrew says to Peter, we found the Messiah, it's doubtful that he knew everything that Jesus was about. It's doubtful he knew that Jesus was even the Son of God. We don't know that for sure. But he knew that he saw enough to believe that this man was the Messiah, the long-expected one. And he was so moved that he went and he found his brother to share this good news. Now, a few years ago as I was looking into this text, I realized I kind of had my, my understanding of the Bible a little bit askew. I used to think it was only that Jesus found us. You know the amazing grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I used to think that only Jesus could find us. And then I realized, wait, maybe we can find Jesus too, as Andrew did. Uh, I'm reminded of a movie from a number of years ago entitled New in Town. And uh, Renee Zellweger plays the, the lead actress. And she's this executive. And she goes, I think it's in Minnesota maybe. Um, she goes to this plant to try to organize the, the plant. It's a, a worker's plant. And, um, she falls in love with Harry Connick Jr., romantic comedy guys. It's a, it's a genre of movies. Um, and at one point, she's in this, this small, simple town uh, that's really defined by this large factory. And uh, one of the, the ladies looks at her and says, well, have you found Jesus? And she looks at the lady and says, I didn't realize he was missing. Um, so it, it's kind of a, kind of a funny moment. Um, but we, I, I think we can actually find Jesus. Yes, Jesus finds us, but we can find the Messiah. And when we do, just like Andrew, he invites us guys to find others, to help them also find life in Jesus Christ as well. This is why we're here. This is why Wes White gets up in the morning. This is why we have the words of Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in the Great Commission, where he writes, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe, that is to obey, like we've already talked about, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our mission. This is why we have been experiencing salvation as disciples of Jesus and sanctification in obeying Jesus so that we might fulfill the mission of Jesus. And what we'll discover is as we look at the lives of these disciples throughout our series this fall, we're going to take looks uh, at disciples, sometimes groups of them, um, sometimes just individual disciples by name and what they learned and how Jesus taught them. But what we're going to see is there's a transition from disciples who are called to follow to apostles who are eventually sent to proclaim. We find that that's who he wants us to be as well. So as we have learned today, a disciple is someone who is called to faith in Jesus for salvation. Someone who is called to follow after Jesus and obey him in sanctification. And then finally, someone who is called to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ and tell others about him in mission. I just want to encourage us that Jesus really does use ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. And I know this because of the Apostle Paul and what he writes in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, which reads as follows. For consider... In, 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 Think about these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, Spirit written to you and to me, guys. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly, worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission. Amen. Amen. Hey, we, we have time. That's one of the benefits of, of being here under the tent. We've got about 10 minutes, and uh, throughout our time, in the chapel building over the past uh, year, we, we've always intended to provide a little more time for you guys to, to interact a little bit. And so what we want is we want uh, you guys to just think through a few questions as you have time. Um, we realize that for some, you know, be as close or as far away as you're comfortable. Put on a mask if you feel more comfortable. Um, but we just have some questions we'd like for you guys to process through over the next few minutes, uh, and then I'll, I'll just close this in prayer. Um, those questions are, how would you answer Jesus' question? What are you seeking? Have you found him by trusting him as your Savior? And are you following him as his disciple? Do you agree with the statement that Jesus uses ordinary men to accomplish his extraordinary mission? Do you believe Jesus wants to use you to accomplish his mission? Why or why not? Has Jesus ever used you to accomplish his mission? If so, how? What are some ways that we can accomplish Jesus' mission in our present day? And then finally, if you have time, what else are you hoping to learn as we go through our study on the lives of the disciples this fall?